Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. This is The Skip Bayless Show, episode 48, How Time Flies. This, as always, is the un-undisputed everything I cannot share with you during the gopher throat two and a half hours of debate that is undisputed. Today, I will go deeper than Tampa Bay on Cowboys at Bucks. Today, I will answer a fusillade of your questions about my most prized possessions, about my favorite post-Super Bowl getaway, about a potential Cribs-style tour of my house, and even about how soon I tape this podcast after the live Undisputed ends. And finally... I will tell you the story of the night one year ago when I feared that my wife, Ernestine, had cut off her finger in a kitchen accident. Buckle up for that one. But first up, as always, it is not to be skipped. So, of course, this week's Cowboys at Bucks first round playoff game has created a dilemma for me, as in I am dying over this matchup this soon. No, 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 no. Uh, I predicted before the season that the Cowboys and the Bucks would meet in the NFC Championship game in Tampa. I said the Cowboys would beat the Bucks on opening night at Jerry World, but that Brady would avenge that opening night loss by wreaking revenge on my Dallas Cowboys in the NFC title game. So I said the Cowboys would effectively win the battle in game one, then lose the war in the conference finals. Obviously, I was very wrong about opening night. Bucks 19. Cowboys all of three. Dak stunk. Then, as an exclamation point of stinking, 
Dak got his thumb busted at the end of the game and was lost for the next five games. As the Cowboys season teetered. But as you remember, Cooper Rush, super duper Cooper, won the first four of those five games with so many clutch throws against the Bengals and at the Giants on Monday night, even against Washington at home. So many clutch throws. And, you know, it was weird as I reflect back on how the Cowboy defense played so much better for the backup quarterback than for Dak. Almost unfair. Is it maybe because the defense thought it had to have Cooper Rush's back because he's just the backup? Or is it possible that the entire team just responded better to Cooper Rush's quietly powerful leadership? I don't know. For sure, Tony Romo said on CBS that Cooper Rush will land a big contract to go elsewhere and be a starting quarterback next season elsewhere. I don't know. Maybe he's Gary Cooper Rush. I'm going old school on you here. Most of you probably don't remember the most powerful yet understated screen presence in movie history, Gary Cooper, who won the Academy Award Best Actor for High Noon. Maybe you remember that. That's what it's going to feel like at 8.15 Eastern on Monday night, High Noon. So now we'll have to sit back next year as Cowboy fans and watch Gary Cooper Rush go elsewhere and see what he can win. We Cowboy fans are now ride or die with Rain Dakota Prescott because, frankly, we have no other choice. Jerry Jones, as you remember, caved in and he paid Dak even admitted to Dak's face at the press conference that he overpaid Dak. After Dak came back this season from that thumb injury, I don't know how many times I got so upset with Dak, <clears throat> excuse me, that I, I tweeted, I miss Cooper Rush. So this year, Dak Prescott in five fewer games than Davis Mills of the Texans, of the Texans, Dak tied Davis Mills of the Texans for the NFL lead in interceptions with 15. 15 in five fewer games. No, 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 no. Cooper Rush doesn't quite have Dak's arm strength, but darned if he didn't throw so many passes that found the most open receiver and hit said receiver right in the hands. The longer I watch and study the NFL, and I've been doing that for about 50-odd years, I realize quarterback is played as much with the mind as the arm or the legs, as much with intangibles as the obvious tangibles. See Jalen Hurts. I have a quick commentary about him coming up soon. 
To my eye, Cooper Rush consistently played the position of quarterback more efficiently and effectively than Dak has this season. I mean, on back-to-back plays this past Sunday at Washington, Dak threw pick sixes. The first one was dropped. The second one was not dropped. That's three pick sixes in Dak's last four games. Lord, have mercy on my soul. I will remind you that when Bill Belichick finally won the power struggle with Tom Brady in New England and Robert Kraft finally sent his son Tommy on his way into free agency, big mistake, I remind you that on Undisputed, I encourage Jerry Jones to go sign Tom Brady. By that point, Jerry and Dak had reached an ugly and bitter contractual impasse. Jerry clearly didn't want to pay Dak what Dak was demanding. So I said, hey, Jerry, why overpay long-term for a former fourth-round pick of a quarterback that you clearly don't completely believe in, a quarterback who currently has one solitary playoff win, And why not, Jerry, go try to sell Tom Brady on playing in the Hollywood that is Dallas, Texas, for the final years of his career? Of course, my debate partner across the table, Mr. Shannon Sharp, said, no way, no way, no how. Tom Brady wants nothing to do with playing for Jerry Jones in that Dallas circus. And maybe Shannon was right. Or maybe there was just no way Jerry wanted to be replaced as the face of the franchise by the GOAT. Man. There's no way Jerry wanted to see that much control, that much credit to Thomas Edward Patrick Brady Jr. There was just no way Jerry wanted to risk having to watch Brady win a Super Bowl and get 1,000% of the credit. But of course, at that point, very few people out there could see that Tom Brady would go elsewhere without Bill Belichick and win another Super Bowl. I might have been the lone wolf on that one, at least one of very few, who said, no, this man will win another Super Bowl. The Hall of Famer Shannon Sharp, on our original show, first day of Undisputed back on September 6th of 2016, said, as many were, it's time for Brady to hang him up. And... For sure, Shannon quadrupled down on that opinion as Brady headed into 2020 free agency. And then, wait, wait a second, he signed with, with, with who? What with, what? with Tampa Bay? Seven and nine Tampa Bay, the sucking ears? I soon predicted that Tom Brady would win the Super Bowl that season. And in a pandemic, 
he instilled and installed the Patriot way in Tampa Bay in those playoffs, as you probably remember. He beat Drew Brees in New Orleans. He beat Aaron Rodgers at Lambeau. He beat Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. Unreal. Could have been the Cowboys, Jerry. If you had just swallowed your pride, just cut Dak loose, signed Tom Brady, who, by the way, has never lost to the Dallas Cowboys. He's 7-0 against that franchise. Oh, has Tom Brady ever shown up Bill Belichick? who in my view has gotten exposed once again this year without Brady obviously quarterbacking and leading his Patriots. Tom Brady's the greatest leader in the history of sports, just on duration. For all those years in New England, Bill Belichick got away with being an old school tyrant was swinging, missing on so many draft picks and so many free agent signees because he had Brady in the locker room telling teammates, it's okay, that's just the way he is. We'll work around it, we'll win anyway. That was Tom Brady's mantra and message for all those years in New England as the buffer to Belichick. In spite of Bill Belichick and for Bill Belichick, Tom Brady won six Super Bowls with game-winning drives in the fourth quarter or overtime of all six. That is preposterously great. Brady obviously is not the most talented quarterback who ever walked out of the combine, but he just knows how to play the position better than anyone else ever has despite running the ugliest 40-yard dash in the history of the combine, despite taking the sorriest shirtless picture in the history of the combine. Cooper Rush has some Tom Brady in him, some. So Belichick's Patriots have played in one playoff game in three years without Tom Brady, and they lost that one 47-17 to at Buffalo last year. This year, Belichick, excuse me, Belichick tried to prove his overall Brady-esque genius by, by trying to prove that he can actually run the offense as well as the defense, that he has some Brady in him. So he appointed a longtime defensive coach, defensive coordinator and Matt Patricia, Coach Pencil, to be the offensive coordinator and a former special teams coordinator, Joe Judge, to be the quarterback coach. And as I said on Undisputed before the season, instead of crown him for Belichick, it was time to clown him. I felt sorry for Mac Jones, his second year quarterback. Patriots fell to last in red zone touchdowns. They finished top 10 in penalties. They had punts blocked, punts returned, two kickoffs returned the other day against the Bills in Buffalo. Two, two kickoffs in the same game against a Bill Belichick coach team. You know that they lost to the Raiders 
on the all-time awfulest game-ending play in the history of football. Some of that reflecting poorly on the head coach. You know, I, I got to say, as blasphemous as this might sound, I thought the New England Patriots, much of the time this year, looked poorly coached without Tom Brady. Without Tom Brady, Belichick has been exposed as a lousy GM and really not much more than an average coach. The emperor has no more clothes. Meanwhile, Psycho Tom, the wolf in sheep's clothing, the cold-blooded football assassin disguised as the corny dad next door, is still playing football at a supremely high level at age 45. In last year's playoffs against the eventual champ Rams, Tom Brady managed to score 24 unanswered points to tie it at 27 before a blown coverage on a blitz blunder, let Cooper Cup, of all triple crown winning receivers, run free down the middle of the football field for an easy deep completion that set up a walk-off field goal. Brady can't play defense. Then, as you remember, Brady announced his retirement. And I said, right here, sitting in this chair to this microphone on this podcast, no way he can give up football coming off such a great season. And to me, fairly quickly, Tom Brady predictably unretired. And then it came clear that he and Sean Payton had been trying to work a package deal to go to Miami. That fell through. And I'm pretty sure Brady also offered his services to the Shanahans in San Francisco to Kyle and Mike Shanahan as Brady looked to go home to the Bay Area where he grew up to end his career in storybook fashion with the Niners, a team he grew up loving. But the Shanahans obviously did not want to give up control of their offense, not to Tom Brady, not to the GOAT, and they said no, and they just might have to live with that, live to regret that in short order. I'll get to that in just a moment. So back, Tom Brady came to Tampa, a man on a new mission. He was going to show the Shanahan's. He was going to show the NFL world that he had, as he said, quote unquote, unfinished business. In August, when the NFL players, I remind you, voted Tom Brady the best player in all the NFL, I decided, okay, I'm in. I'm all in. And I put, excuse me, I picked Brady's box to win this year's Super Bowl. And boy, did they ever look the part on opening night at Dallas. Julio Jones, handpicked by Tom, recruited via IG by Tom, provided that new deep speed that was missing in the wake of AB. 48-yard catch early on in that game. I said, oh my gosh. 
and I did figure that Gronk would rejoin his buddy Tommy by, I don't know, November 1st maybe. And then you know what happened. Tampa went quickly south in the NFC South as Cooper Rush steered the Cowboys north out of oblivion. As I did predict right here that he would. After losing to the Bucks and losing Dak, the Cowboys fell to around 25th in all the power ranking. 25th? I was like, what? You have all lost your cowboy-hating minds. When it comes to my Cowboys, the world goes way over here, then way over here. They're way too bad, and then they're way too good. And I am a prisoner of that, as I will get to in short order. So, meanwhile, Julio Jones has stayed hurt all year, as Shannon predicted that he would, and Gronk couldn't come to terms with the Bucks to come back, even though they tried in early November. And after somehow rushing for 152 yards in that opener at Dallas, the Bucks have fallen into dead last in rushing. And the Bucks have been decimated by injuries in every way, shape, and form, at every level, at every position. Tom Brady has struggled. But Tom Brady has remained, in my view, the NFL's boss, excuse me, best clutch, late-game, close-game quarterback. The best. Money on the table, he's still the best. My life on the line, I want Tom Brady to have the football in his hands. Nobody does it better, even with Brady at 45 years of age. Of course, when Tom Brady just absolutely had to beat Carolina to win the NFC going south, all he did was throw for 432 and three touchdowns. Quarterback sneak for another one. And there they were back in the playoffs, having backed into the NFC going south crown. Just FYI, as I did report right here in this chair to that microphone, Bucks management still believes that Tom Brady is better than 99% of the quarterbacks out there. They do not blame Tom Brady for eight and nine. I have been told that they believe he has not been the problem, but that he still could be the solution. They badly want him to come back next year. I'm not sure that's in the cards. I believe Brady will play, but I believe it will be elsewhere because he does need more help. Quick aside, it's so ironic to me, throughout all these injuries and all this drop-off, the loss of their best pass rusher, Shaq Barrett, as they fell in pro football focus grades as a pass rushing team to 28th. They can't rush the passer throughout this long, hard season, Brady never uttered a peep of an excuse. Not one peep. 
He never said, I don't have enough help. He never said, we need to go get him, we need to go get that, as opposed to a guy who plays basketball out here in Los Angeles for the Lakers, who every other night is pushing the narrative of, I need more help. I, I want to win. Well, wait a second, LeBron, how about you? Aren't you part of the problem? You wanted Westbrook, right? Isn't Westbrook still part of the problem as he leads the NBA in turnovers per 36 minutes and is dead last in the NBA in three-point shooting? LeBron, aren't you third from the bottom in three-point shooting at 29.6%? Wasn't it you, LeBron, who at least four times earlier this season could have closed games that you failed to close? You're the best player on the court. You've had some great stretches stretches that no 20-year player has ever had before. But when the money got pushed to the middle, when it became Brady time, you disappeared. And all you do is complain about you need more help and you want to be on a winning team. Well, Tom Brady hasn't complained all year, but clearly the Bucs are getting up there in age. Clearly, he doesn't have any deep speed at receiver now that Julio's been hurt so much. Clearly, there's no Edelman or Amendola as a cat-quick slot receiver running option routes, getting open on third and five. The Bucs are just getting old and battered. I'm pretty sure he's going to go elsewhere, but I'm very sure he's going to play at least a couple of more years. So there the Bucs sit right in our way this coming Monday night. And I'll be the first to admit, I've got to take some blame for this. I probably doomed my Cowboys chances right here on this podcast, four days after my birthday, and which was on December 4th, that day, that night, my beloved Cowboys had won the fourth quarter against the Indianapolis Colts, albeit at Jerry World, but they won the fourth quarter 33 to nothing. 33 to nothing? Just in the fourth quarter alone? They had won at Minnesota 40 to 3 against Kurt Cousins and the Vikings. So, right here in this very seat. I said, jinxes be damned. Maybe you remember. I said it. I guaranteed that my team, I'm lifelong diehard Cowboy fan. I said, this team is going to my franchise's first NFC championship game in 27 years. This team, I said, has legitimate firepower and star power. This team, I said, is just too explosively good to be affected by all these silly jinxes I used to fret and sweat about. Nope. Done. Here we go. And there we went. That next Sunday, my team actually needed a great late touchdown drive. 98 yards and 11 plays to barely beat Houston at Jerry World, 27-23. Uh, 
not great. Okay, on to Jacksonville, where we led 27 to 10 late in the third quarter. You close that deal. Hey, right now we just well might be division champs. We well might have the number one seed in the NFC. We well might have a week off. And Philadelphia would be playing at Brady as the Eagles did last year in the first round of the playoffs. But no, my Cowboys, maybe predictably, stumbled backward into overtime. They held the Jags to a quick three and out. They got Tony Pollard loose for 21 yards. My team suddenly just needed one more mid-range completion, one 10, 15-yard pass to get into game-ending field goal range. And snake-bitten Dak Prescott hit Noah Brown right in the hands with a pass that somehow ricocheted right up into a game-ending pick six. No! <sighs> Still haven't recovered. That was it. It's for the division, for the top seed, for the bye. No. Yes. My Cowboys did bounce back. They did beat the Eagles on Christmas Eve. As I predicted for two months that they would. Yes, you could argue Dak played his best game of the season with 347 yards passing and three touchdowns after throwing two interceptions. But obviously Jalen Hurts did not play, could not play that day. It was Gardner Minshew who somehow managed to throw for 355 yards, eight more than Dak. If Gardner Minshew hadn't given us four early Christmas presents, two interceptions and a fumble that he was responsible for, one that he wasn't. But four early Christmas presents from the Eagles were all that kept my team from losing to Gardner Minshew. I must admit, Merry Christmas for me had become Scary Christmas. Then four nights that would be five, five nights later. We went to Tennessee, to Nashville, where I went to Vanderbilt. We struggled against a team having to play a Joshua Dobbs who had just barely gotten to town. He was their effectively third, maybe even fourth string quarterback. Scheduling quirk dictated that the Titans not play anybody couple of starters played, but mostly none did. Joshua Dobbs, and we struggled, and we fumbled, and we stumbled around, and it took most of the night to subdue what was left of the Titans. Man, bad sign. Then came the worst sign of all. It's past Sunday a game at Washington against our arch rival that the Cowboys need to seize control of early to put a little, just a little bit of a scoreboard scare into the Eagles playing at home against the Giants backups. But just if, if you could post a quick 21 to nothing at Washington, at least it would put 
a little pressure on the Eagles to try to take care of business. Maybe they would start fumbling and stumbling, but no. This is a game Dak had said going in, we need to just go win a football game, and did they ever, just to feel better about themselves. And the Dallas Cowboys managed to play one of the worst games in franchise history, and I know franchise history cold. I've written three books about the Dallas Cowboys, and the first dealt with the history, 1960 up through Jerry buying the team in 1989. It was called God's Coach. I know the history. This was all-time, all-time bad. Against the arch-rival at Washington, starting a rookie quarterback named Sam Howell. I still haven't gotten over it. Man. Dak managed to stink even worse than he did on opening night against the Bucs. He completed 38% of his passes. His offense was 4 of 18 on third down. Sam Howell looked like Joe Theismann. My team gave up 151 yards rushing. My pass rush that led the NFL through 11 games has now turned into a pass hush, hush. I said before the season, this team will go as far as Micah Parsons and that defense carries this team. Lately, that defense has been carrying this team right out to the trash can. Micah has hit some kind of invisible wall that I just can't explain. Is he hurt? I don't know. Is he just banged up mentally as well as physically? I don't know. Is he drained from all the pressure I helped heap on him with my My Oh Micah 11 from Heaven video that we launched on Undisputed, courtesy of our man, the great DJ Steve Porter? Yeah, I did that. I'll take responsibility. Once again, that was my fault. I helped do in this team that I have loved since my uncle Jim Bell took me to my first Cowboy game, the old Cotton Bowl, 1961. Cowboys-Cardinals game. That was their second year of existence. Lifelong diehard am I. I did write those three books about the Cowboys, and now I fear that very soon I'm going to have to write their 2022 epitaph And I fear that epitaph will read, I should have left well enough alone. Still, my Cowboys are somewhere around three-point favorites at Tampa on Monday night, and they should be. They're better than the Bucs. My Cowboys led the NFL in takeaways. They finished second in the all-important turnover differential category, second. The Bucks have even less pass rushes. The Cowboys, as I mentioned, rated 28th. Two weeks ago, when I projected out that this game could happen, I thought that the Cowboys would seriously be seven-point favorites at Tampa. Tampa's mostly just been a bad football team. 
My Cowboys have mostly been a dominating football team until Minshew, Joshua, Sam Howell. Ugh. I don't know what happened. We lost our way. We lost our spark. We lost our life. We, we, I, I can't even recognize my team anymore. What happened to 33 to nothing? What happened to 40 to three? What happened? Do I trust my coach? Please drop the Mike McCarthy to somehow relight the fire? I don't think Mike McCarthy could light a fire with a blowtorch out in the woods. I don't think so. I'm surprised Mike McCarthy's car will start for him in the morning because he can't jumpstart anything. I, I would think his, his own car would say, I, I, I'm not gonna start for you. He is simply, by what I saw on Hard Knocks two years ago, the worst motivational speaker I've ever seen in all my years covering sports. It's not his thing. I'm not sure what his thing is. Bump on a log, doesn't call plays, doesn't motivate. So can I trust him to relight the fire? They, they don't listen to Mike McCarthy, they just tune him out. I would too, I don't blame them. I'm not saying he's a bad guy, but he's just a guy, a product of Aaron Rodgers' long ago, far away Super Bowl run, a road wildcard run that took Mike McCarthy along for the ride. Coach Landry, whom I covered low those many years in Dallas, used to tell me that the key to winning a Super Bowl is streaking into the playoffs. This Cowboy team is streaking like a bunch of naked guys crashing some playoff game by running onto the field and being chased down by security. How can they have any real confidence at this point? Any confidence in their quarterback or in their best player, 11 from, I don't know where he's from right now. I don't know where he's coming from right now. Tom Brady now says the Bucks just might go into this game as healthy as they've been all season. Tom Brady has won 35 playoff games, including seven of 10 Super Bowls. Dak has won one playoff game. Tom Brady just might be the most dangerous right now that he has ever been in his career. With the NFL world having little to no respect for him and his bucks. They're, they're not even in the top 10 of this week's power rankings. You saw his alter ego, Psycho Tom, come out at Atlanta in that meaningless game that he insisted upon playing in. When Todd Bowles had the audacity to finally make Tom Brady come out of the game and sit down with about four minutes left in the first half of that meaningless game, Tom Brady acted like a hurt child. Tom Brady is still on fire just to play football. He just wants to play. Maybe he wanted to break his own record from last year, but he did that in the opening drive. They, they went 70 yards in 10 plays. He threw a touchdown pass. I, I don't, that, that was enough to me, but he just wants to play. He's like a little kid. Took his toy away. 
you know, I feel for Todd Bowles, but I envy him on Monday night. Tom Brady is now driven to show people he can win playoff games without his six foot six inch security blanket that is Rob Gronkowski. That he can win without a running game, without a star studded offensive line that he had last year and the year before, without half the defense that he had in 2020 when they won the Super Bowl. I will not be surprised if Tom Brady and the Bucks wind up in San Francisco to play the NFC Championship game versus a 49ers team that destroyed the Bucks 35 to 7 on December 11th. He's a man on a mission. He wants to get even with the Shanahan's. And I'm not sure I would bet against Tom Brady if, in fact, he gets there to face them again. I just wouldn't be at all surprised if Brady and the Bucks shocked the NFL world by shocking the Niners because Brock Purdy, the final pick in the draft, Mr. Irrelevant, is highly capable of handing the ball to the Bucks three times. Tom Brady versus Brock Purdy, I don't know. My money just might be on Brady. I won't be at all surprised if Tom Brady beats the next Brady, Joe Burrow, in the Super Bowl in Phoenix. Call me crazy, maybe. But as I always say on Undisputed, there's one man in sports I do not bet against, not ever. That's Brady. Tom Brady is the complete opposite of Aaron Rodgers. Tom Brady is obviously the playoff clutchest ever while Aaron is the least trustable superstar quarterback ever in the postseason. You saw what just happened. That was the equivalent of playoff game Sunday night, and Aaron Rodgers at home lost it to the Lions, just the way he had lost to Jimmy G the year before in a home playoff game, just the way he'd lost two years earlier to Tom Brady in a home NFC championship game. I did predict Brady over Burrow in this year's Super Bowl. I did predict Bucks over Cowboys in the NFC Championship game. But unfortunately, I'm afraid that will happen two weeks earlier, this Monday night, at GOAT. You can blame me. Speaking of jinxes, Jerry Jones surprised me the other day by choosing to wear the Cowboys' jinxed blue jerseys this coming Monday night, the blue jerseys in which they've never won a playoff game in their history. I was there in the early 80s when that jinx 
reared its ugly head. I was covering the Cowboys then. I know all about the blue jersey jinx. So I think Jerry's trying to do what I tried to do in early December. I, I think he's trying to say, hell with jinxes, that we, as in the Cowboys, are just better than jinxes. And I hope he's right. So Jerry's decision prompted me to decide that this Monday night, I will be wearing my white number four Dak jersey as I am now desperately relegated to trying to unjinx the blue jersey jinx. Hey folks, it's your man Keyshawn Johnson here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you, it's the nation's largest home services Marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. It's time for your questions. It's time for Troy from St. Louis. Besides your car, what is your coolest possession or thing that you bought? Hmm. You know, the truth is, Troy, the God's truth is, maybe to a fault, I'm just not that materialistic. Maybe I should stop and smell the roses more, as Ernestine always says to me. To your point, I do love my car. It's a 2019 ZR1 that was made especially for me, manual transmission, 755 horsepower. And I do love the Bentley, the Super Sport convertible that I did buy for Ernestine, which also boasts 700 horsepower and it will go. But other than that, My most prized possessions, <laughs> in all honesty, are my 63 pair of Jordans, 63 and growing, much to Ernestine's chagrin. I can't lose in these shoes. I wear them every single day of my life. I love my Jordans. I'm proud of my Jordans. 
I, I do own a Rolex, I'll admit it, but it was given to me as a gift. I would never ever have bought this watch for myself. And this reminds me of a story my late great grandmother Gladys used to tell, my mother's mother. It's a story of when I was four years of age and she and my mom took me shopping, not for me, for them. I was bored to tears. They were trying to find a dress for my grandmother, as I recall, and I walked right up to the rack and I grabbed a price tag and I turned to my grandmother and I said, too expensive, grandma. She loved that story, too expensive. So I, I started early. I was working at my father's little hole-in-the-wall barbecue restaurant on the south side of Oklahoma City when I was four years old. I was getting paid, but I was working, and I worked every year of my existence up through high school in that stinking little restaurant. That's what I was taught to do, and I thank God I was taught to do that. Now, I will splurge occasionally. I've been known to fly private when the spirit moves me. I make good money. I work hard for my money. But in the end, if you know me, I'm far more about saving than spending. Next question, Omar from Palm Desert, California, one of my favorite places on this planet. Would you ever do an MTV crib-style tour of your house? Well, sure. If somebody so desired, I, I'm sure I would grant that. I, if Ernestine was good, I'd be good. Maybe a better question, if Hazel, our little Maltese, was good with it, I'd be good, and I don't think she would be good with it. Here again, same idea as previous question. As much as I like where we live, it's not exactly some NBA style palace. It, it was actually too expensive by my standards, but everything on the west side of LA is way too expensive. For what I paid for where we live right now, near where I sit here in West LA, I could buy a palace in my hometown of Oklahoma City. But remember, it's just Ernestine, Hazel, and I, and we're very comfortable where we live. But I'm afraid <laughs> that the, the Cribs tour would be embarrassingly brief. I, I can just hear one of the producers asking, uh, is is this all? Is, is there another wing? No, no, I'm sorry, this, this is it. This is Nick from New York. Where do you go to relax after the Super Bowl? Interesting question. You know, when Ernestine and I lived in New York, we went to either Puerto Rico, which is underrated great, only three hours from JFK, or we flew five hours and then drove two hours 
out to Palm Springs or the aforementioned Palm Desert, as in California. But once we moved to LA, where even though it's been raining cats and dogs here very uncharacteristically for it seems like three months, but the, the truth is the winter weather here in LA can be just about as good as Palm Springs, Palm Desert, as they call it, out in the desert. And, and all of a sudden, it, for us, when we moved here, it, it made the desert a little less appealing for us. I mean, we're good here. We can go to the beach in 10 minutes if we want. I belong to a really nice golf course, if I so choose, maybe 15 minutes away. There's Hollywood, there are restaurants. We're, we're very happy here in LA, so the drive out to Palm Springs, we got a little bored with it. Now, we have started occasionally going to Vegas from here because it's about a five-hour drive. It's a pretty easy drive, and it allows Ernestine and I, over those five hours, to get to know each other again after a long, hard football season that is much harder on her than on me. It's relentless. It's every day, every night. It's Saturday. It's Sunday. It's college. It's pro. She walks by, another football game? Yep, another. I'm sorry. So when we get that week off, we need to get to know each other. In Vegas, we love the, going to the shows more than the gambling. And we do love the room service at the Wynn where we stay. It is five star. But you know what happened during the pandemic? We realized we're actually happiest just staying put. Home is where our hearts are. Hazel has become such a force in our lives that we're actually happiest just hanging out on the couch with Hazel, watching the movies, because we have access to all of them that you don't have when you go on the road, watching Jeopardy that we tape like crazy and watch all five of each week. It's just no muss, no fuss, no travel snafus, no having to have somebody keep Hazel, no missing Hazel. You have to understand that for the first 30 years of my career, I was gone three quarters of the year. I was on the road. I went to every Super Bowl, every NBA Finals, every World Series, every Masters, every Wimbledon, every Cowboy game. I can go on and on. I went to everything that was happening in sports. And after a while, you just get worn out and burned out from all the travel snafus. Not the events, just the travel. So not going to the airport has become my greatest joy in life. And I'm going to say this once more about my Ernestine, my wife. In my 17 years with her, I have never for one single second been bored in her company. Not a single second. We don't even like going out with another couple to dinner because we'd rather just be with each other. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the essence of how and why we're still together after so many of our friends, mostly my friends, said, no, it will never, ever work. 
It's been hard, but it's still great. Dante from Indiana asks, did you text Little Wayne after the Packers lost to the Lions? I did, Dante. Though I must admit, I waited a few hours until I got up at 2 a.m. as I always do, Monday through Friday, because I knew that by then Wayne might have wound down a little bit, and that's usually when he's just getting rolling in the studio. So I just simply texted, sorry about that, but maybe this will hasten 12's departure. 12 being Aaron Rodgers. As Wayne has made it very clear, clears broken glass on Twitter. He has fallen out of love with 12, as have many in the organization. Then during Monday's show, Wayne texted me a, a very clever spoof of a text of the old Aaron Rodgers line about R-E-L-A-X. Remember that one? So Wayne texted R-E-L-A-P-S-E. -E. Relapse. Here they went again, as I mentioned. That was effectively three straight home playoff games that Aaron Rodgers lost. Aaron bleepin' Rodgers. He owns my Cowboys. He no longer owns Packer Nation. Relapse. Say goodnight, Aaron, and please say goodbye. This is Harris from, I'm sorry, Greensville. I'll, do, I'll get it right. Harris from Greenville, North Carolina. Is, is getting another dog on the table? What would you name him or her? You know, that's interesting. You would ask, Ernestine and I have talked several times about getting another dog so that, I can't even call them dogs. They're like people to me. They're like children to me. But getting another dog so that Hazel could have another, could have a, you know, a companion or a playmate. But the problem is, I, I cannot express to you Hazel is so domineering. She is so willful. She is so overpoweringly proud of running her domain, our house, that we fear she just would not stand for another creature daring to share in her spotlight. She's a warrior princess, is Hazel. She is fierce. When she doesn't like something or somebody, you will know it immediately, and you better look out. And even worse, you have no idea how many times I walk in the door and Ernestine says to me, that's it, I've had enough, we're getting rid of her. Hazel is hard on her quote-unquote mom, Ernestine. It's that mother-daughter thing that constant clash, testing, retesting, loving, not loving. But Hazel is not hard on me, is not hard for me. She's an angel to me. It's just different with me and Hazel. I think I pretty much get the good Hazel. And I would love to 
for her to have a little brother, sure, but I'm just not sure that's going to happen. Have I thought about names? Sure I have. I've considered naming a little boy dog several of my favorite cowboy names after several of my favorite cowboys, but then I stop and I remind myself, if I do name the little boy puppy after one of my favorite cowboys, I'll probably never be able to housebreak that puppy because he'll just constantly be pooping on the floor. This is John from New York who asked, do you walk straight from the Undisputed set and start taping your podcast immediately after Undisputed? That's a good question. I do not. I go straight to my dressing room. I eat a protein bar, maybe a Nature Valley granola bar. I have a few more sips of Diet Dew, just a little more rocket fuel. And I prep for this podcast every Wednesday, post Undisputed, like I used to cram for finals at Vanderbilt. My mind is flying faster than my ZR1 redlining RPM. I prepped all of your questions that I'm about to answer. I also script out an open and a close. Then around 11 a.m. Pacific time out here in LA, I wash my face and I reapply my makeup so it'll sort of wake me back up. What little makeup I use, throw on some new clothes, these clothes, and I literally run for the elevator, which takes me up to this fifth floor that I'm on now from the first floor where the dressing rooms are to tape this podcast. And I tape straight through. I take no breaks, no stop downs. And when I finish, I am famished and I am flat out finished. I got nothing left. I'm getting close to that as I speak. I have been going from 2 a.m. on at 200 miles an hour and I usually finish this taping around 12.30 p.m. out here in L.A. It's a long day, man. And I love every last second of it. Last question from you. This is Belle from San Jose who asks, would you rather start a franchise with Jalen Hurts or Joe Burrow? Come on, Belle, I can't go that far. As I always say, of the young gun QBs, Burrow is the closest thing to Brady that I've seen. He's not going to be Brady, but he's the closest too. But I'll tell you my, my biggest fear when it comes to my Dallas Cowboys is that Jalen Hurts will prove to be a little better than Dak Prescott, just on commanding leadership, big game playmaking, football character, QB IQ. Listen, Jalen Hurts is a special young man. I just hope that Dak Prescott can somehow rise above him as they battle at least twice a year for the next few years.
Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. And finally, a quick story about my wife, Ernestine, and me. One year ago this week, I caught COVID. Of course, my wife, Ernestine, was horrified. Her worst nightmare is catching COVID. She has not caught it to this moment. She has been on a three-year mission to avoid COVID. She still often wears a mask and she still will not eat inside of a restaurant. And I love her for all of the above. I have never known this woman to even have a cold. I'm gonna knock on wood for her. Even have a cold, 17 years, no colds. So when I caught COVID, you can imagine what happened at my house. I was quarantined in the office bedroom that I used during the week. I mean, I was locked down. I was treated like a leper. She set my meals out on the floor outside my door, then knocked and ran. And my beloved daughter, Hazel, our six-year-old Maltese was strictly off limits. No way was I going to see or touch or be in the force field of my Hazel. I was let out of my quarantine quarters only to do Undisputed every morning at 6.30 a.m. here in L.A. That was from my remote setup at home. Ernestine did help mic me up for the show. She did turn on all the equipment for me, but that was while wearing double masks and a shield and gloves. I did not miss a show. So it was on Tuesday night that I was scribbling away, creating my podcast while lying in bed. My podcast to be taped on Wednesday, the next day, when I heard my Ernestine cry out and yell, oh my God, I cut my finger off. She was in the kitchen, which is just right around the corner from my office bedroom quarantine chamber, just right around the corner so I could clearly hear her. Obviously, I was highly contagious. And I was pretty sure that Ernestine at that moment was not wearing a mask. But she had just cut her finger off. I am thrown into a state of panic. I just plunged and I bolted out the door and into the kitchen where all I could see was blood. Trust me, no exaggeration. Blood was everywhere, all over the cabinet, and all over the kitchen floor. Blood everywhere. 
for a second, I waited for Ernestine to yell, get back in your room. But she already had a bunch of blood-soaked paper towels wrapped around her hand. I, I tried to reassure it's going to be all right. I frantically scanned for her finger on the floor or somewhere on the cabinet or in the sink. I had no idea. She was white as a sheet, and she was clearly in some shock. Remember, she doesn't get sick. She doesn't get badly hurt. She's not used to that sort of thing happening. But I saw no detached finger. I, I couldn't tell exactly how badly hurt she was. And I must tell you, I was pretty shook up myself. So in panic, I said, hang on, hang on. And I ran for my phone. By now, Hazel was just joyously barking her brains out because dad had come out to play. No, Hazel, no, ca calm down. Your mom is hurt. So I thumbed through my contacts for our doctor's cell phone. I called it, and would you believe he answered? He, he like, answered on the second ring. It was impossible. He answered his cell phone. I told Dr. Cole that Ernestine thinks she just cut her finger off. I, I'm not sure what's happening. And he very calmly said he would call the emergency room at St. John's Hospital and that they would be waiting for her when she arrived. But then it dawned on me, I can't go to the hospital. I have COVID. I can't do that to those people. So I frantically called Ernestine's sister, Joyce, who lives, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes from us. And boom, she said, I'm on my way. Then out onto the carpeted hall, outside of the kitchen came Ernestine, still pretty panicky, but saying, you, you, you've got to help me put my Ugg boots on so I can go to the hospital. So I got down on a knee and I tried to push one of her boots up onto her foot. And as she was holding on for dear life to her blood-soaked paper towels, I think by the end she had some kind of towel on it, blood-soaked. She lost her balance and she fell down onto the carpet and blood went everywhere, everywhere. By this point, I'm starting to worry about bleeding to death. But by then, I was pretty sure she hadn't cut her finger off. But there was so much blood that even though I tried to glance at, she opened it up for a second, I tried to glance, it was just so much blood, I couldn't see anything. I couldn't make out what had actually happened. In her shock, she said, she had done it with, with one of those rolling pizza cutters. She tried to cut one of those little Weight Watcher pizzas, you know, the ones that roll and cut. That's what she said she had done. I couldn't have quite envisioned it, but the truth was that wasn't how she did it. She was just in shock. So I helped her out the door, down the steps to Joyce's car, and they took off. This is probably 9-ish, 9 p.m. out here in L.A. Again, I have to be up by 2 a.m. There was obviously no way I was going to sleep, so I continued to prep the podcast 
very distracted. Joyce called about 9.30, said Ernestine was with a nurse who said that he had seen worse than this cut, made me feel a little better. Ernestine called me maybe 10.30-ish to say doctor had stitched up her hand. It required seven stitches that she had nicked an artery, which was extremely dangerous, which had caused so much blood to spurt. But the cut was more across sort of the webbing, I think it was her left hand, across the webbing and down into her palm, and her finger was intact. Again, she was in shock. So I finally went to sleep around 11-ish to get up at 2, and Hazel was going to have it no other way. She slept with me. COVID be damned. When I got up at two, I was stunned to find that Ernestine and Joyce had come back and for therapy, they had cleaned up every last drop of blood while I was sleeping. But it wasn't until later that Ernestine came to the realization it wasn't the pizza cutter that did her in. She was trying to cut the plastic wrapping around the top of some kind of spice jar. It was wrapped in plastic, so she's trying to use the scissors to cut it, and the scissors eh, predictably had slipped right into her hand. I get a shiver just thinking about it, but I guess all was well that ended well. Ernestine, the warrior that she is, did not catch COVID from me. Neither, to my knowledge, did Hazel. The cut healed fairly well without much of a scar. But if, if you want to know the truth, th this is the kind of thing that happens on almost a nightly basis in the Bayless household. You may or may not remember the old TV series, the old sitcom, I Love Lucy starring Lucille Ball as Lucy Ricardo. It's always been Ernestine's favorite because if you know how zany and crazy Lucy could be on I Love Lucy, that's my life with Ernestine. I love Ernestine. That's it for episode 48. Thank you for listening and or watching. Thanks to Jonathan Berger and his All-Pro team for making this show go. Thanks to Tyler Korn for producing. Please remember, Undisputed, every weekday, 9.30 to noon Eastern, The Skip Bayless Show, every week.